billion pound subjective forecast. Who lost a bet like I did when that was published? Well, we'll get into that report and more as this episode is all about current market conditions for the California almond industry. And with me today, the guest is none other than CEO Bob Nunez. Bob, welcome back to the show. I think this is maybe your third or fourth time uh, on the show. Thanks for keeping coming back. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate the invite and I always like talking about almonds. Well, I always uh, enjoy our conversations and I think we got a lot to talk about. So let's kick it off with the subjective forecast, 2.8 billion pounds. I mean, when we were talking, you pretty much nailed this one uh, right on the head. So I got to give you uh, a little bit of credit for that. But I'm curious, you had to have, uh, you know, had some factors to consider, uh, you know, in your mind to get you to that 2.8 billion pound number. So just kind of wondering, you know, before the forecast was published, what was in your mind? What were you considering when we're kind of formulating your expectations ahead of it? Well, there are several things. This is a very difficult crop to try to estimate. There's drought implications dating back from last year and how much did that affect this year's fruit wood and how many acres have or have not been removed. There's also the frost situation that hit uh, various parts of the state. Uh, it hit uh, North Valley area extremely difficult. And it's definitely more damage in, in the North State uh, than anywhere else. And it's primarily the early varieties, which is primarily the non-parel variety, Sonoras, et cetera. So taking all those factors in and, and then trying to come up with an estimate is not an easy task. Yeah, but you called the 2.8. I mean, let's just be honest with this. You know, in our conversations, you know, that was your number. So, you know, all of the, you know, variances aside, you, you called it. So like, is there something that, that just kind of made you feel like that was the number as you're, t I mean, we'll, we'll dive into all those things that you talked about here, but you know, just to the consensus, you got to tell me your secret. You know, how did you, <laughs> it's just luck. <laughs> I did not do a tour of the state. I talked to several people that I you know have a lot of respect for in their uh, respective areas in the state and then tried to take in the other factors we talked about, and it just didn't feel like, even with the additional acres, it was going to be as large as last year's crop. And it certainly doesn't look or feel like a, you know, a disaster by any stretch. So 2.8 was kind of somewhere in the middle, and that's what I settled on. Well, fair enough. And to dig in a little bit, uh, you know, you mentioned a couple of the pieces and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm based up here in Chico, so I'm around in the north. I know how bad the frost is, but, you know, from your perspective, you know, what, what are you hearing from our growers um, in our own operations? How bad was the frost and, and what type of impact does that have on us up here in the north? Obviously, certain areas got hit worse than others. In our personal growing areas in the uh, Orland area, we were hit extremely hard, probably 50, 60 percent damage, maybe more in some blocks. Some areas, not so bad. The the Arbuckle area uh, fared a little better, as as I understand. Some of the Chico areas did better than certainly our area. But we get, as a handler, Select Harvest receives a large percentage of their handle, both our own and contract growing in the North State. So it, it is going to have an impact on our handle. Well, and let's not uh, forget drought, uh, you know, while the North might not be as impacted um, as others, we're now in our, our third year of drought. You know, in our recent uh, market report, if you uh, would care to 
to read it, it's online under um, the News and Resources tab on SelectHarvestUSA.com. And we publish a uh, continued section on drought. And we reported that uh, the first part of this year, so we're looking at January through the end of April, it was the driest uh, on record. You know, our, our fairing just about the same year over year on, uh, you know, total reservoir storage with snowpack being a little bit better than last year at 22% when we published that report. But uh, that's 22% of average with well below average water reservoir storage. So we know that there's going to be impacts here. From your perspective, Bob, you know, what, what are those impacts? What are you watching and what are you hearing from our growing community? Well, everyone is concerned and has been, obviously, the growers in the west side throughout the state are in dire straits. There, you know, any state or federal water is limited to five percent, and groundwater is just really not not an option. So that's a bad situation, getting worse. In other parts of the state, it's some water districts are doing okay. They're they're going to deliver the majority of of what you need to get a crop off. Some are going to are not, and they're going to be supplemented with groundwater. Now the question is, you know, what is the availability of that groundwater and when are we going to start having an, an impact on those aquifers? We've seen a lot of deficit irrigation last year and it resulted in not a good outcome crop-wise. To what degree those orchards are going to set and hold a crop this year is yet to be seen. And there may be, you know, more of the same. So it's not a good situation. I just can't put a number on how much the drought is going to impact the crop, but there's definitely going to be a negative impact. So when you talk about, uh, you know, deficit irrigating uh, and the prolonged drought and, you know, insecurity on our, you know, water availability, you know, I know there's been talks about, you know, accelerated orchard removals. That's anytime to rip out an orchard, you know, if it's not at the end of maturity, there's a big balancing act to uh, to undertake from a grower's perspective. And, you know, the investment that an orchard requires, but that return on investment Again, it's a balancing act, but I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is, you know, there's been some speculation that orchard removal is is accelerating, you know, and, and would we see that during the growing year as things progress and, and you know, water issues, be, you know, bring more clarity? Or is that something that, you know, we would be looking for more towards the, you know, after harvest once we've gotten through and we're trying to speculate on, on next year? Well, I think you very well could see orchards being removed still from this point forward. And that's an interesting thought process. When we were talking about the estimate earlier, the $2.8 billion that NAS announced was based on their bearing acres of 1370000 However, Land IQ came out with, and sponsored by the Allen Board, but, but Land IQ came out with a number with a little more aggressive removals, and their number is a 1340000 acres. So a 30000 acre differential is, you know, it's 50, 60 million pounds. And then Land IQ will follow up with another another survey at the end of the growing year to kind of see how much made it to harvest. So there is going to be an impact. We've seen it last year in, in their first report to their second report. And they've tried to, I believe, incorporate that in their acre estimate at the outset. So like I said, this one is going to be a difficult one to estimate, but it seems like there's a couple other packers that have come out with a, a, an estimate, wonderful as an example, uh, and they do a they do a pretty good job of estimating it, the crop in prior years, and, and they came up with a 2.8 just the day prior to NASA's estimate. So it, there does seem to be some 
correlating around that number until, you know, until July. That's this is probably the number that, you know, that we're going to use as a new crop supply number. Yeah, with July being the objective forecast um, coming out. And you did touch on a piece that that I was going to dive in a little bit more on with the USDA uh, NAS and the land IQ um, acres, you know, the, the difference in that in those reports at the estimated 2,040 pounds per um, acre yield that uh, the subjective forecast was was projecting. I mean, it's a significant difference. I mean, it's really the difference between a sub 2.75 billion and a 2.8 billion pound crop. You know, and again, that might not be enough to necessarily move markets, but it is it is a significant um, amount. And and I did kind of want to 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 know you know what your thoughts were on which estimate you feel has done a better job of projecting forward those those removals and or just has done a better job in your estimate estimating the the total acreage of of almonds. Is there one in particular that you, that you tend to use as your benchmark? Yeah, most definitely I, I lean to the land IQ number as our internal estimate projections. It seems to be uh, extremely accurate. NAS has a tendency to get there, but a little bit in hindsight. So I think the lower acre number is probably more accurate, especially in, in the environment we're at today. So the other thing that uh, can impact yield that uh... – I dug up uh, a report on, uh, j- just to ask you this question, Bob, is kernel size, right? If you set less nuts, but they're bigger, well, you know, maybe you come out with the same yield as an example. And the reason I dug up this report, and, I- and I'll try to summarize briefly, but it came out last year. And if you recall last year during the spring, we had very early onsets of 100 plus degree weather in the valley. It was, I mean, this time last year, I think we had already had two two sets of 100 degree weather where now we, we haven't had any. And I think for another week, while this is an editing, I don't think it'll top 100 in most places. And the report was showing uh, the correlation of temperatures with a couple of different things. But one was um, the primary development of the kernel and the carbohydrate net uh, gains that uh, they would have over you know a couple of different variables. And one, again, being that temperature. And more or less under 95 degrees is where you were getting the optimal growth of your kernels. And so I, I kind of find this interesting because we've had a phenomenally mild season so far, perfect for the development of the kernels. And in areas like uh, the north where you have uh, frost damage, so you're setting fewer kernels, the thinking would be, well, you set fewer, the tree can focus and develop those fewer kernels and bring them into a larger size. And in the north, you kind of generally already see a trend, at least historically speaking, where you see the bigger nuts up north. So I'm kind of wondering, what's your take on on that report? And And I don't Sorry, I didn't forward this before, but is this is that kind of common knowledge in in your mind um, about uh, nut development? And do you see larger sizes being something maybe it's a little bit more common or prevalent in this particular crop? Well, I guess the short answer uh, is I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I, I I think that obviously the the crop the orchards that got affected by frost most likely will have larger kernel sizes. Last year, the kernel size overall was smaller than we were hoping. And some of that probably has to do with water availability. But I do think we'll see a little better sizing than we did last year, primarily just because I think it's just a lighter set on the trees. 
that's going to allow for a little larger sizes, which may bring us more back to an, a normal bell curve. That being said, again, the north is going to be have have larger sizes uh, than normal where it, on the non-parallels, especially where, where the frost was more prevalent. So by my estimate, that kind of hits the primary variables that at least, you know, I, I'm tracking. So that kind of puts us back to that 2.8 forecast. And judging by all the things that we, we've talked about, if you were to put money on the table as an over under that 2.8 number, where do you stand today? Well, I can make a good argument either way. And that leads me into kind of what is the projection for next year. And I did two scenarios. I did one at 2.7 and I did one at a 2.8 crop. I did not do one over 2.8. So I guess I'm leaning at 2.8 and under, but I'm estimating or carry out for this year to drop below the 900 million pound mark, which not too long ago we were, there was some speculation that we might be looking at a billion pounds being carried out. We got some good news on April shipment report where we had a very strong showing, just four or five million pounds under last year's number. And there's a good probability that we're going to ship out similar numbers uh, as we did last year, taking us from currently we're behind the industry, uh, we're behind last year at the end of April by about 13.5%. I'm saying that that's going to drop down to 11%. So we, we would gain over the next three months which would put us at an 880 million pound carryout. And we could see as low as an 840 carryout. But using an 880 carryout into uh, the 2022 crop, using a 2.8 gross crop and a 2.7 gross crop on both those situations, using a 10% increase in shipments over this year's number, it ranges between a 690 million pound carryout in a 790 million pound carryout. So we could get healthy in a hurry as far as prices if you know the crop comes in even at 800 or 2.8 million pounds, billion pounds, and a minimum of a 10% increase in shipments puts us under the 800 million carryout mark. And with the demand that is currently out there and hopefully congestion, supply chain issues and, and shipping port congestion being cleared up, or at least much improved, we'll be able to get more product out. So hopefully the pain as far as commodity price won't last too much longer. Well, let's dig in on that uh, now that we've dealt with the the yield. And you mentioned logistics issues, you know, and it, it seems like you just hear it all over the place. You know, I don't care what sector you're looking for or just read the news, you know, supply chain issues, port congestion, container shortages, right? I mean, those are headlines that are all over the place. And if you listen to our last episode where we had uh, Almond Alliance CEO Aubrey Betancourt on, you'd honestly think it was just impossible for almond handlers to ship anything. Yet, as you mentioned, you know, we shipped 245 million pounds in April. That's a near record. And 182 million pounds of those were export shipments, which again, using containers and going to the ports, and that 182 million was a record for export. So I want to ask you, you know, how are the logistic issues impacting the industry? Um, and are these impacts legitimate bottlenecks to the industry as a whole? Or are we kind of just simply in a different environment? And, and those headlines and, and the I don't know, call it whining and complaining, um, are just the the whining and complaining of those that haven't been able to to adapt while the rest of us kind of seem to have figured it out. I mean, just put some context on logistics. What's really going on here? 
Well, it's real. I mean, there's definitely equipment shortages, there's container shortages, and there's chassis shortages, you know, there's congestion at the ports. So, I mean, it, it is all real. And, you know, we're coming out of this pandemic and there's so much demand coming from China and elsewhere that it's just kind of inundating our, our ports. And the port of Long Beach and LA are the two major ports on the West Coast. And they're typically the first port of call. And because of this congestion, some of the vessels, uh, steamship companies have, in order to catch back up in their shipping schedules and so forth, they're skipping Oakland and heading back to where they came from, so to speak, and leaving Oakland at a big disadvantage. According to the Almond Board, about 80, 80 to 85 percent of the almonds are shipped out of the port of Oakland. So I know a lot of handlers were trying to get product. I say a lot. Several handlers were we're trying to get product to uh, the Port of Long Beach, the Port of LA, and I've heard that things are improving there somewhat. Um, but we're still going to the Port of Oakland. We're having still uh, logistic issues, but we're typically able to get equipment and bookings. We're just having to pay more for them. So it's become a bit of a economics issue, uh, and who's going to be willing to pay for it? I mean, I'm sure that that also can have a uh, downstream impacts on um, on demand. But let's talk about a demand in the export world. And I wanted to touch on two kind of key areas, uh, Western Europe and India. Let's start with Western Europe. And if listeners, if you're at a computer, go and pull up our last market reports. Um, we have a, uh, a table in there and you can pause it. So take your time. And in that table, we included the top five importing markets from uh, from Western Europe. And with this chart, it really shows a very mixed and what I would even consider a volatile market um, on the whole for Western Europe. Well, or at least with, with the five biggest ones using as a as a proxy for the whole of Western Europe. Uh, Western Europe itself is down uh, 11% on the crop year. But these top five countries are a completely different story. So if you look at the Netherlands as an example, um, it's basically flat, negative 1% um, on the year. But both Germany and the UK are over 19% off for the year. And both of those countries have been continuing to slow over the past three months. Um, and both were actually off over 48% in April. The Netherlands, um, which I said has been flat on the year, that has also been slowing rapidly on a month-to-month -month growth rate. 51% uh, February over February. Uh, now, that was in the plus. And now we're down to negative 17% month over month in April. So, you know, we have those three um, really kind of heading in the in the wrong direction by some really significant margins. Um, but meanwhile, you have a country like Spain, which was up over 66% in April and actually is up 39% over the last three months, which again is just, it's just so remarkable. And those numbers, um, those numbers are huge. And for comparison, uh, the Western Europe uh, region as a whole was off just negative 1.7% in April. So again, it really mixed signals here. And, you know, I don't know if there's a real easy answer to this, but uh, I just kind of wanted to to put that out there for you, Bob, and, uh, you know, just see what kind of insights you might have on, you know, what's happening in uh, in Western Europe and, and these markets. I mean, these are markets that, you know, I, I would say are maybe not as mature as, as the U.S. domestic market, but these are these are historically, you know, sizable markets um, that we have developed for a long time. And I, I just, I wouldn't necessarily expect these large swings here. So tell me, any idea what's going on? No, I don't have a, a real good answer for that. 
I suspect it has something to do with logistic problems and maybe a product moving around to, to different ports. Just looking at Western Europe as a whole, which, which is a, a fairly mature market, if not a very mature market, it's faring better than the overall average for the year. And I do know that uh, I know products is you know is brought into Spain and, and some other countries processed and and distributed throughout Europe. But for the individual countries, I I don't have a real explanation for that. Well, port congestion and, and moving things around was kind of my my first thought on that. I mean, if you consider uh, you know a lot of the the Baltic uh, you know states and you know the logistic routes that you'd be seeing there are closed or you know your freight companies aren't willing to take the risks. So you have to find different routes into things, you know, that might lead to some congestion at certain areas and steamship lines, logistics partners looking for just other ways around some, some things. So just kind of, I don't know, your point about the market as a whole uh, doing fairly well is, is actually really spot on. The Western Europe market as a whole has, has absolutely improved and is back pretty much on par with where it was um, last year after starting the year really far off. So I don't know, just something uh, that I think uh, I'm going to continue to watch, um, you know, and if you have any uh, thoughts on it, I'd, I'd love to, to continue to pick your brain. But let's move to uh, to India, which has uh, come back uh, very strong after a slow start to the year. And I think that that is likely due to the early Diwali season. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, how much longer do you expect India to uh, to to continue its its strong buying? Well, they still uh, they still have buying to do for the Diwali holiday. Their window is closing, however, to get product there and processed in time because of the you know the topics we've just been talking about as far as the logistics and delays in, in shipments and rolling of containers and, and so forth. So certainly by the end of June, you would want to have you would want to get everything on the water, and you know that might push out into the first half of. July, depending on how uh, the shipping lines cooperate. So you're going to see continued demand. The, the demand, it seems like this year from India is when all the, because of the delays, you know, you'll, you'll have weeks and weeks where they're not getting a lot of, you know, they're not getting deliveries. And then containers, ships will come in and, and they'll have a lot of, because they're put so many containers on a ship. And then you see, okay, then they kind of take a breather for a little bit. And, and then they come back and buy so we've kind of seen that that pattern a little bit off and on this year. And so th- they definitely are looking to buy, and it's non-parole in shell, uh, independence in shell is primarily, you know, what they're looking for and what they need. And if you look at the commodity market, the only varieties that we're seeing an increase in pricing has been non-parole, whether it's, it's extra number one kernels of virtually any size from 3032s to to 2325s are all all increasing in value. Non-parole in shell and independence in shell uh, is also increasing. Uh, it has been a pretty strong upward trend. And by conversely, the pollinator varieties, California type varieties has been relatively flat regardless of size. You know, some of the larger kernels are you're getting a little a little bit of a, a premium, but it it's very narrow and almost a horizontal trend, which is an indicator that the carryout is going to be primarily pollinators. And then that's why Europe doesn't feel really pressed to buy, because they primarily buy blanchable varieties, California types, and they know there's going to be plenty for the transition and then the new crop coming in. But if you need non-parels, especially good quality non-parels, 
there's definitely a, a shortage, a tightening develop in uh, the non-pro variety, both in shell and kernels, and we're, and we're starting to see the prices respond. Well, so in your scenarios that you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you're projecting, you know, anticipating or just forecasting in some way a 10% uh, growth on shipments for the next year. And just kind of wondering, is there a particular market or markets that you would, that you're thinking are going to, are going to respond and are going to be the drivers of growth here uh, within the next 12 months? Oh, I think it's going to be Asia. There's going to be Tremendous demand in India and, and I believe China as well. You know, I think probably most other markets at these current price levels are going to see an increase in demand. I think it's going to come down. Can can we get the product over to them in a timely manner? But it, it's it's definitely the developing countries is where we're going to see the biggest increase in uh, in almond demand. Well, and just to touch a little bit more on that, you know, I, I do think India has a lot of untapped potential. I think we all do. But, you know, it's interesting. India's off on the year. We got three more months left. I know we're going to be in a, in a strong buying cycle, but they might post a, a negative growth this year. And that's in spite of the low commodity prices. So at these current prices and, and maybe looking forward, maybe scenarios where we start to see prices, you know, at least come off the bottom a little bit. Do you expect India to have that same level of significant demand growth uh, maybe that driver? Or do you expect them to start plateauing off a little bit more and, and seeing the growth come from, you know, other, you know, Asian or Southeast Asia countries? Well, I think both. I don't see India having plateaued as of yet. I mean, I think there's going to be some strong growth in India, as well as the other Asian countries. Well, then, you know, I guess my question would just be, I mean, anything else to add on on any of those other markets out, outside of them? I guess the one one thing that, you know, looking back on, we've seen this huge increase in shipments in 2022. It was 22, 23% increase growth. And what we found out was at the price levels what they are with the big carryout, there was pipelines being filled up and product was getting on the water and in warehouses and they are completely full. I think we're going to see a, a 10 to 12% drop in shipments this year. Then if we come back in with a 10% growth next year, we're kind of back at that level. And then I think we start building from there because obviously the Western Europe and some other markets have been buying from this year's crop to be ready for the holiday season, just like they did last year. But you already had a full pipeline this go around. So I think a 10% growth is is very doable next year. And if everything else being equal, I would foresee that or maybe maybe even a little stronger. Yeah, well, I'm really interested to see what the next three to six months hold. You know, in our market reports, we've been talking about this shift in historical buying patterns. We've seen that continue to play. That obviously has change the dynamics in the market significantly. I'm interested to see in the, the May's position report, we'll start seeing the the numbers for uh, new crop year commitments. I'm interested to see how those stack up with uh, with years previously. I think, uh, you know, my gut's telling me that we're going to see a significant, you know, amount on the books, but, you know, we'll see. But, you know, it's a significant number there would project forward, just like you're talking about holiday season. It would really, in my mind, kind of equalize us into that new buying pattern, which, again, we, we've speculated has to do with, you know, with, with a number of different things, COVID and uh, logistics issues and, and all this, 
you know, that we've had to deal with the last couple of years. And I think it would really, in my mind, kind of codify that that new that new normal, if you will. And I'd be really interested to kind of look how that would project forward, um, as, as you say, you know, for, you know, potential of a 10% growth. I don't think you're far off at all, to be honest. Um, but then again, I rely on uh, trustworthy and respectful sources myself, aka you, Bob. So uh, <laughs> I hope you're not steering me too wrong, and I hope I'm not, uh, you know, taking your words out of uh, out of context. But again, I, I appreciate you lending uh, lending your insights to the show. Well, you're you're very welcome, and you know, maybe a few more months down the road, we can look in hindsight and see how right or wrong we were. Oh, hindsight's always uh, twenty twenty. Uh, that's the beauty of it. But I do have one more question for you, Bob, um, before yeah. I let you go. Um, why did the almond cross the highway? Because it was nuts. Thanks again to my guest, Bob Nunez, whose CEO title basically means it's his fault that we're doing a show all about nuts and apparently terrible dad jokes. So, Bob, why don't you do the honors and send us off and tell everyone what show they're listening to? It's the Nut News. Nut News.